When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. I'm very excited because today we have Dan Cockrell, who's the former vice president at Disney. That's right. Disney's Magic Kingdom responsible for over 12,000 employees. We're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about how it drives a better experience and much more with Dan in just a moment. First, a quick announcement. If you've heard the show, you know what's coming. If you've got an amazing customer service story you'd like to share, I want to hear about it. Or if you have a question, let me know. Just go to any of the social media channels. I am there. And if it is a question, use the hashtag AskShep. And I'll be sure to answer the question either right there in the social channel, on my newsletter, on this show, or on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home. And that can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, and a number of other places, including now we have episodes on YouTube. And just go to Shep, I'm sorry, yeah, go to sheptv.com or go to beamazing.tv. As a matter of fact, that's the best place to go, Be Amazing. TV. All right, everybody, let's jump into it. A great interview coming up today with Dan Cockrell. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shep. I always appreciate uh, anyone who takes an interest in what I have to say. So thanks for hey, having I, me here. I am a huge, huge Disney fan, which means because of your background and the book you've written, which is titled, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Lessons from a Disney Leadership Journey by Dan Cockrell. You can go to Amazon, buy that book. Why don't you buy it today? Let's make, let's make Dan happy. Let's make his publisher happy. Let's go ahead and buy it today. That. But anytime I have a chance to talk to somebody from Disney, I love it. I learn it. I'm a huge fan of Disney. I've gone to a Disney theme park probably over 50, 60 times in my life. Uh, I've gone to the Disney Institute programs over and over again with my clients. And here we have a master in the house. So I'm excited. Boy, I like that title, Master in the House. What Or Master of the Kingdom. How's that? There you go. Yeah. That's good. Anyway, well, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, when I, when I say master, it, it's master of a craft. It's uh, when you go to Disney, you learn a certain, I, I don't want to call uh, culture. Maybe that's part of it, but you learn a way of life. You learn, learn a way of doing business, a way of treating people. And one of the reasons that Disney is, uh, to use their favorite phrase, the happiest place on earth, is because of how the cast members, the employees, treat the guest. And I would imagine how they treat each other as well. Yeah, Shep, you, I think you nailed it, just how you kind of defined it, culture. And when I speak to groups, I always ask, you know, how do you define culture? What's the elevator speech and what culture is? And the best definition I've heard is, it's how things are done around here. So when it comes to culture, this is not a Disney thing. This is just, this can be with your family. It can be in your organization. It can be in a club you belong to. 
But if you decide we have, we want to decide how things are done around here because that's going to be based on our values and what the best practices are. And then you train to that, you hire people who are going to uh, get along with that culture and believe in it. Uh, You reinforce those behaviors, you coach those behaviors. And over time, the way things get done is the, is the culture. And it's just, it takes a lot of discipline. And the closest thing I'll tell you is probably the military, you know, talk about a strong culture. You've got a background in the military. Well, I, I don't, I've, I don't have a background in the military, but I come from a, a family of, who's been in the military and military defines very clearly how things get done, who you salute, who you don't salute, what your uniform should look like. Uh, everything is there. And so we've had a lot of, I've talked to a lot of uh, guests from at Disney who are in the military and they, they say, you know what? I know my kids only see Mickey Mouse and the bright colors and the music and the parades, but I can see a sort of a military precision to how you're doing this. And that's true because when you're entertaining so many guests, you have to have a clear plan. And when you have so many employees, you have to have clear expectations uh, so everyone can align to create that, uh, that experience. So as I, I tell uh, you know, every organization, this has nothing to do with uh, Disney's brand or anything else. Any organization can decide what their culture is and then start to role model it and, and, and go after it with intentionality. It's not a matter of cost or anything else. It's just a matter of will. And uh, that's, that's what I learned over the years is, it would be great if you could just spend money to get culture. That way we wouldn't have to work so hard, but that do- it doesn't work that way. Well, where does culture start? I mean, I, I, okay, you've kind of said that already, but what I mean by this is like Walt Disney many, many years ago said, I'm going to build a company. And I don't believe the culture today is much different than what he envisioned it uh, was going to be, but actually the way it was when he first started. Uh, am I right? Wrong? Uh, you can tell me I'm wrong. I'm okay with that. No, no. My wife tells right me I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> well, I, I get that too. But uh, to your point, how companies execute upon it varies over time. There's ups and downs in, in companies, but the vision has always been uh, very constant. And you know, the 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 reason Walt did the theme park Disneyland was created was because Walt Disney wanted a clean friendly place where families could create memories together. That's basically encapsulation of it. And I would tell you that that's still what they want today. So instead of, you know, he, he was really into technology and innovation and new approaches, but he really understood at the base level, you need to engage uh, people on an emotional level. And that's some, that's human nature. Cause when he was building these parks, you know, you didn't, I mean, imagine all the technologies he didn't have, all the ride systems he did not have, but it wasn't based on that. It was based on storytelling because he knew storytelling made an emotional connection. So what I've seen over time is, and we get to, you know, how, how organizations can be um, uh, successful. There has to be some kind of emotional connection. People need to believe in what you do. They need to enjoy, they need to have a connection. And whether you run a pizza place or you run a hospital um, all those that technology is going to come and go. The new the new practices will come and go. But at a base level, uh, that culture has to be we care about people. We care about people coming in. We're going to take care of them. We're going to make sure they get value for their money. We're going to make sure they feel safe. We make sure they're going to feel uh, special. We're going to treat them as individuals. And once again, that's you know, that's something that's common, I think, to every culture 
around the world, every country, every background, how you deliver it, you got to figure out how to do that. And that's running the business. But uh, yeah, I would say that Walt Disney found, he, he saw early on, we, that's what we want to do. We want to create this in, incredible immersive experience for people. And that has been the uh, sort of the guiding principle for, you know, a long time. So is there a, a one sentence version of what the culture should look like that every employer cast member, which is what they call the Disney employees, every cast member should know if you walked up to them, do they know what the culture is? Uh, yes, they, they, they will. It, it'll be some version of we are here to make magic. We are here to create memories. It's going to be something along those lines. And, it, and they don't know that just through osmosis. It is something that is reinforced. And I know you asked, how do you create culture? There's, uh, I, there, there's three big things I'll, I'll say. Uh, first of all, you got to hire. You know, we talk about hiring them right. Hire the right people. You can't just hire anybody and then change them. You need to hire people. If you want people that are really great in hospitality, you have to hire people that love problem solving, love service, enjoy helping people. And that's what kind of one of the, I'd say that's one of the secret sauces of great companies is they hire the, the right people and they pay a lot of attention to that. Um, because once you get someone who uh, connects with the culture, everything else doesn't, is not as important. How much I pay you, how much I reinforce, how much I train you, because you are just going to thrive in that culture uh, because it's a place where you feel comfortable. And I feel lucky when I was, you know, in college working on the college program at Walt Disney World. I, I felt like I fit there. It's hard work. It's stressful work, but you know, there's different kinds of work. When you go home at the end of the day and you feel good about me, I worked hard, but I got a lot done today. That's a perfect job. And so you got to you know, attract the right kind of people. So I tell companies, look at the people in your companies who are superstars, who you wish you had more of, figure it out what they do that makes them so great and go find people like them. And when I say people like them, I don't mean homogeneous. I don't mean we don't want to hear other points of view, other experiences, but at a base level, do they have a fire in them? Do they, are they, do they have a great attitude? Are they able to overcome uh, barriers and obstacles? And that's, that's something that's been common in everyone I've led over my years is when I have someone like that uh, who's willing to get the job done and, and very is going to be, I uh, take it personally I want those kind of people working for me. So getting the right people on the team is key. Next, train them right. It's clear expectations, onboarding. When you get uh, someone in your company, so many companies say, hey, welcome, there's your desk. We'll, uh, you'll kind of figure it out as you go. Uh, and, you know, people are not, they're, they're, we, we find the biggest turnover we had at Walt Disney World was in the first 90 days. The first 90 days, people are more likely to leave because they don't have friends. They're not connected with the company yet. They're still getting used to it. And that's the time you really have to reinforce that they made a great decision. Uh, and I, uh, my wife and I are working on a, a, a workshop right now we're doing next week. And one of the things quotes we put in there is, um, you know, in many cases, you're hiring the candidate. And remember the candidates um, or you're interviewing the candidate, the candidates interviewing you in this in, in the workforce we have today. So, Even if they don't know it. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. deciding because they have lots of options and that may change over time, but not anytime soon. And so your candidates, when you interview them, are interviewing you. They're finding out if they want to be in your organization. And so talking about the benefits of being there and then on the first day, just blowing them away, getting them in a great onboarding day, an orientation. Hey, welcome. We have your, you know, your office is ready and here, your name tags on the board and you actually have access to your computer. And we, we, knew, we knew you were coming. We were prepared for you. 
and we're ready to tell you what, uh, what, how to, how to do your job. We're going to, and that's called traditions at Disney. We do a, a full day to get people really excited mm-hmm. and we talk nothing about their technical job. It, it's all about what their purpose is. We tell stories about all the Disney stories and what employees have done for guests over time. So they walk out of there knowing, look, I, I don't know what job I'm going to have, but I certainly know how, how I should be doing it. And so you set that expectation, then that's built in through the training. It's built in through the reinforcement. It's built in through the recognition. Uh, and so um, you, you just look at those behaviors. So if I want every guest to be greeted as they come into a merchandise location or an attraction or a food and beverage location, I train to that. I explain people why it's so important. I explain it, why it's going to make a difference in their overall experience. I explain why it's uh, that this person's part of the team. And if everyone is doing this, we're going to be better than you know every, all the competition and uh, and why they can make a personal connection. And then when you do all that and people start, you start to do that, then you get that friendliness. Um, and the last piece is treat them right. So you've hired the right people, you've trained them, you've given them the tools and training they need to do, clear expectations for performance. And then you, 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 you treat them with respect. You listen to them. Uh, when something is not right, you listen, you get them the right equipment. You get them the, um, when they bring up an issue, uh, you listen. They may not be right, but you listen to them. You're, you're accessible. You're approachable. You recognize them when they do a great job, not because you want to make them feel better, not because you want to build morale, because you want to reinforce that behavior. Because once again, reinforcing behaviors bring stronger culture. And when they need help, you help them. Uh, and this is where I think a lot of leaders fall down. They're so busy and overwhelmed. They, they're, the, the little uh, time they have left in the day, they're so tired to put that back into their employees. But that really is where they should be spending their time is reinforcing that how much they value their employees. And if you can just do that, I think you're going to be so much further ahead in business because uh, today it's uh, people are stressed out and they're just trying to keep their head above water. But if you want to get in a leadership role or you want to you know, be really good at what you do, you have to do what you do well and you have to lift up those around you. And that's not easy, but that's really uh, what great companies do. All right. You, you've given us an amazing summary of three very important points. You know, it sounds like such common sense. Unfortunately, it's difficult and not always so common. You hire the right people and recognize that in this process, they are actually looking at you, especially today when there's so many choices, you train them. And uh, I love traditions training. I know about traditions training. And I think every company should come up with a version of this is what our company history is. This is why we're here. This is what's important to us. It's stories. It's, and by the way, people love stories. They learn by stories. They visualize stories and they understand what your company is about. And maybe some of that should be brought into the interview process as well. And then finally, you, you treat them right. Great, great summary. Three really important keys. When we come back from the break, Uh, I want to talk about a comment you made just a few minutes ago. Before you got into this, you made the comment that sometimes it's not about the money as much as it is the experience and the way you're treating the people. That's not exactly the way you said it, but uh, the people listening can't can't see this, but I'm watching Dan shaking his head yes in in (laughs) agreement here. So we're going to come right back after a quick message and we're going to continue this amazing interview on Amazing Business Radio. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert. And I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. 
In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll-be-back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio. We are talking with Dan Cockrell about leadership and culture and everything related to customer experience and how it drives a better experience when you get people in alignment, people who want to be there, people that are trained well, and people that are taken care of and listened to. His book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom, is available everywhere books are sold, especially Amazon. So go there today. Dan, um, you made a comment earlier in the interview, something about how money doesn't make a difference. Now, this is what's fascinating to me. And it's been a little while since I've gone to the tour that Disney, uh, by the way, I've had the luxury, uh, I call it luxury, the gift uh, of number one, I was hired to work with Disney, unbelievable experience. It was in California, Disneyland. And I got to go through a tour uh, called Walking in Walt's Shoes. That's not easy to say three times fast, Walking in Walt's Shoes. And this guide took me one-on-one on the basic routine that Walt Disney himself would go through as he came in to look at the theme park and see what was going on. And it was fascinating. If you go over, and I don't know if they have this at the Disneyland, but if you go to Disney World, they have the Disney Institute where you can actually get a tour and and learn behind the scenes what's happening. There is, I think they call it textiles, which is a laundromat, essentially. I believe at the time when I went through, it was the largest laundromat in the world. If you think about it, uh, all of the laundry that's done through all the hotels, the linens and napkins and everything else at the restaurants, this is huge. It all gets done in one place. But here's what amazed me. People were working hard and they were smiling and they were having a, it looked like a great time, yet they were working in a laundromat. And then I found out they weren't paid super high. As a matter of fact, I would consider their pay to be pretty low. And our guide and instructor said, they love the culture at Disney so much. Money doesn't matter. I don't know how true that might be today, but wouldn't that be really cool if money was really pushed far to the back of the experience that the employee has, if you're giving them that fulfilling of an experience at your company? Yeah. So I would say that is a maybe a more bold statement than I would like to hear is money doesn't matter. However, what I think companies don't realize is money is not going to be a long-term differentiator. I think that's one of the big things because mm. a lot of companies say, you know what? Uh, we'll just, we'll raise our hourly rate by a dollar. We'll be able to attract because that's going to be ahead of all of our competition and, and people flock to us. Well, they may that may happen. You may get some great talent coming your way because people are going to see that. But one is uh, when you're, if, if you really are competitive, you can't keep, uh, uh, your, your salary can't be that much out of line with other in your industry over time because they're just going to catch up to you if they have to and everyone's going to become less profitable. But the other thing is money, you know, I, now this is what I found in my life. Every time I started, I got a raise or I got a promotion. It was a big deal. But then after a few months 
or a, a year, that was sort of my new level of income. And it wasn't a differentiator anymore. It was just what I expected. And so that's human nature. Um, now, if people are out there and said, you know what, when I was 20 years old, I lived the same lifestyle I always did and never raised my, my cost of living, then they've done a great job saving. But as we make more money, we you know, get a bigger house, we get things, we do things. So that uh, money is not a motivator. And it's, uh, it's funny how it's always that goal, but um, it's not, it doesn't motivate you long term. It's, it's what you do every day and the purpose. Are you part of a team? You've heard this expression, they couldn't pay me enough. Um, well, that really is true. And I, I think a lot of people roll their eyes and go, yeah, this whole thing about money doesn't matter. I, I, it matters because it helps you, you know, do things in your life. But when it comes to human nature, people don't perform for money. You know, athletes don't go out and calculate how much money they're making and say, I'm going to run a little bit faster today. They, they go all out every day and do what they can and they get compensated for it. And so um, that's, uh, it, it is one of the things that the thing is, it's really easy technically to raise, you know, a wage for somebody. It's really hard to build a culture. And that's why uh, people like to go back to the money thing, because building a culture takes time. It takes discipline. It takes passion. Uh, it takes intentionality. And a lot of companies just decide it's too hard. So we're just going to try to compete in a different place. We're going to give out free cereal or we'll give more benefits. Those are all part of a strategy, but uh, how people feel and the place that they spend most of their waking hours, uh, that's pretty important that they, you get that right. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is, hey, you're going to be miserable here, but we're going to pay you a heck of a lot. So go like your job. That's that, that's yeah. one way of doing it. And the other way is let's build a culture that's so good and so fulfilling to our customers as well as our employees that they want to come here because they're excited to work here. You know, I, I wrote about this uh, in one of my books, The Amazement Revolution. There was a hospital system in Southern Florida, uh, Baptist Health South. Um, and uh, Brian Keeley, the CEO, who I believe, and I've talked about him on the show before, he's getting ready to retire if he hasn't already done so, but he created something he called destination employment, making people want to come here and never leave because they love the job so much. If you take a look at what Target is doing in the middle of this great recession or resignation or, or not, I'm sorry, not the great re recession. I think we're heading there, <laughs> but the great resignation. Freudian slip. <laughs> the great resignation, maybe so, uh, economic uh, flip or slip. Um, but the uh, uh, whole idea behind whatever they're calling it is, you know, we've got to do something that gets people to want to come to work with us over someone else. Culture is, is where it starts. Um, you know, I want to jump in the book. I just also want to point out that uh, when I saw your name for the very first time, I said, I know his name. How do I know his name? And then it, he worked for Disney. I thought there was another guy named Cockrell that worked for Disney. And sure. there was, and there probably are a number of people. The one that we're referring to is Lee. That's right. And I go, That's right. And, and when you and I first met, I, I said to you, I, I went, uh, I remember the conversation. I think I said something like, how are you related to Lee? Yeah. And you said, he's my, my dad. dad. Yeah. So you come from a long line of Disney. Yeah, we, uh, I worked at Disney. Uh, he worked, joined the, the Disney back in 1990. He'd retired in 06. I left in 2018. And between that time, we had three kids who all worked there at some point or another. And my wife worked there. So we are, we're definitely Disney family. You're a Disney family. And, you know, and by the way, I know what will happen here is we're going to post a lot of, of your comments on social media. People say, and this is what drives me crazy. Um, 
And I, and I'm not going to go down a dark path, but there's a dark side to every company. People will say, uh, you know, my experience at Disney wasn't the same, you know, uh, well, you know what, maybe it wasn't, maybe you weren't the right person for Disney, but if you look at what they've done and the number of people that are employed there long-term and the number of people, even that went there short-term for college programs and come out and say, thanks to Disney, I have a career today that I could never have had. There must, you know, they're doing something right. Okay. So you wrote this book and I, how, how's the culture in your kingdom? And you start and there's four parts of the book. And I want to, and I kind of feel like we're going this direction, leading self. That's the first section of the book. And I think that when you look at the job you have and the things that you've shared with us today, uh, I think really it comes down to, are you the right person for this environment? Are you the right person for this culture? And then the company has to decide that if you are the right person. But as a person, an employee, you've got to decide that as well. Am I in the right spot? Um, so is that, and as I looked through the book and read through the book, that stuck out to me. And am I getting the right message here or am I just kind of uh, spinning my own interpretation? It could be no, because of what you've said earlier in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're right on. It's, there is a, a piece of self-awareness. So you need to figure out uh, what, who are you? Who are you and how are you going to navigate this world? And so uh, when, I, when I wrote the book, uh, the publisher suggested maybe we put the whole lead self-section at the end of the book because it really doesn't talk to leadership or management. It's more about self-help. And I said, well, you know what? I've learned growing up being an athlete, having played athletics, and then having worked in a pretty high-stress environment that if you are not personally ready to perform uh, nothing else is going to, you're not going to get anything else, right? You're not going to be there for your family, your coworkers, your employees, your boss, the organization. So you got to put these things in the right order. So I just went through and I, it's, it's to your point, you meant you used the word common sense earlier. It, a lot of this is common sense, but it's uh, it's, as they always say, it's not so common. You know, are you just, when you go to work, do you feel okay? Do you feel good about your physically? Did you get enough sleep? Are you exercising? Do you have the right diet so you can have the right energy level to go in and perform? Uh, do, you, do you realize what your values are? And are you able to connect your values with your company's values regularly? Or do you find friction all the time? Boy, that I just, just doesn't feel right because those are flags that say, maybe I'm in the wrong place. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the company. It's just not a right fit. Um, the, um, the idea of mental fitness, you know, handling stress, this idea of uh, just being able to handle all the things that come at you every day, emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, we get, we take in so much information today with these emotional roller coasters and learning how to recognize your emotions and manage those. So you can stay in and, 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 and do a great job. And the other thing is time, time management, you know, how we spend our time is probably one of the most important things in our lives. Where you spend your time is where you make progress, where you, uh, communicate your priorities. So the big thing for me was we need to talk about that first, whatever job you're in, are you really focusing yourself on you first, being selfish about you, and then fulfilling your role and all the other roles you have in your life. And uh, if anyone can take anything away, if they can get that right, uh, not only I think they're going to be more successful, but I think they're just going to have a much more a happier life. That's brilliant thinking. Uh, I want to make this real clear. I think employees need to be selfish. And by the way, we're seeing some of that. That's what this whole great resignation is about. I'm being selfish. I want a job that I want to be at. I want to make a living somewhere where, you know, I'm fulfilled. If you don't have people that feel that way, there is no way you're going to get the productivity that you want out of these people. 
Um, I, I get it. I get it 100%. I, I think you said it eloquently, perfectly, and that may be one of the core messages. It's too bad it's coming in the <laughs> toward the end of our interview because, boy, we put that up front. People go, wow, that's a serious, serious nugget. Can you share with us, um, just outside of that section, what's your favorite part of the book? Yeah, the the I guess the favorite part that for me is is except from leading self is this um, this whole section on how to uh, lead a team, lead your team, and uh, I, once again, twenty six years, nineteen jobs at Disney, great leaders, great role models, learning the tactics to really put the building blocks in place to lead a team. Leading teams is hard. It's hard. It's uh, you're always questioning yourself. Am I being um, uh, am I holding them accountable enough? If I get, am I giving them enough recognition and reinforcing that? Uh, what level? What's the, the the closeness of relationship I should have? Uh, am I setting the expectations clearly? Do I even know what I expect? So that whole section, I think, uh, is is a great uh, blueprint for anyone who's leading a team. Kind of like a checklist to make sure you're you have all the th- pieces in place so that your team can perform at the highest level. And and when you can have that structure, it builds trust also because clarity and transparency builds trust. And uh, that's that was a, a part of the book that was almost the easiest part to write because it was, uh, you know, I was using some of the tactics I used over those over the years. Yeah, if, a, if an employee or even a customer doesn't trust the company they're working for or doing business with, you know, that's a very short-term um, opportunity. All right, we're at the end. And I always ask this question, and whether it's from the book or from your experience, What's one last nugget of information that you would love to share with our audience today? So this is a little bit of a story, Shep, and it, it happened two days ago. And I, I just, I thought this was really cool. So I'm, I'm not gonna make this too we're, long. We're going back for a whole career at Disney and you want to share with some, uh, I do. Something happened two days ago. I love it. I love it. I do. But it's about curiosity. And that really, that for me was probably the reason I was able to have 19 different jobs. I was able to work in France for five years. I was able to have all these, do all these things and travel because I was curious. I'm always curious. I want to know more. I'm open-minded. I'll, I'll try that food. I'll try, I'll meet that person. So I was up at the community center here in Superior, Colorado, and I was doing some work. And there was an older lady sitting a couple chairs down from me at the coffee bar. And uh, she started talking and we started chatting and you know, I was kind of really into my work and focused. I was getting a lot done. And she really, um, you know, it's funny. She didn't, she didn't want to take any nonverbal cues. She just was going to talk and that was it. She lived yeah, so nearby. She's interrupting she was, you and you're just and, trying to be nice. Yeah. And, and so finally, you know, I said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to um, let's, let's do this. So I closed my computer. We started chatting and I told her what I did, what, you know, this kind of thing. And she said, well, what was, after a while, she said, what was one of, what's one of the most interesting places you've traveled and done work? And I said, well, there's, they're all interesting, but I said, uh, uh, Peru, you know, my wife and I worked, did some work for Inca rail in Peru and they run from Cusco to Machu Picchu to Agua Calientes, which is next to Machu Picchu. And I said, that was a really great job as a great people. And we really just had fun on that and learned a lot. And she said, well, do you know the highway that goes up from Agua Calientes to uh, Machu Picchu, the name of it? I said, offhand, I can't think of it. She said, well, it's called the Hiram Bingham Highway because Hiram Bingham was a Yale professor who discovered Machu Picchu and he became a, the governor of Connecticut. He was a U.S. senator. And you know, there's a whole story about him. If you Google Hiram Bingham, he's known for kind of bringing, discovering Machu Picchu and telling its story. 
And she paused and smiled and she said, you know, here in Bingham was my grandfather. Oh, wow. <laughs> I said, what? She said, yeah. And then we spent the next hour talking about her grandfather here in Bingham and his story and what he did in his life. And it was probably one of the most interesting stories and interesting conversations I've had in a few months. And it's because I decided to close my computer and talk to this lady who I had no idea who she was. So uh, the point is, if you're willing to close your computer, if you're willing to go ahead and talk to people, if you're willing to go take some chances, if you're willing to reach out, talk to that person on the bus, on the train, send that LinkedIn message to someone to introduce yourself, you can create opportunities for yourself. You create your own luck through that curiosity. Um, so go into these things with a, an idea that you want to learn and karma is going to return it tenfold over time. And that's where I think a lot of people feel they're trapped. I don't, I'm, I need to go do something else. I need to get a new job and I don't know where to start. Go out and just start engaging. And uh, like I said, the doors are going to open. You don't know what door it's going to be, but you have to have faith that that, that curiosity and that openness will work. So that's, that's the, that's the story. Well, I love the story and Disney is all about stories. Dan, you're obviously about stories as well. The book again, titled How's the Culture in Your Kingdom by Dan Cockrell. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. Thank you for being amazing and sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks, Chip. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode and another interview. We'll be back next week again. So please tune in. This is Chef Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.